Did I say that right? You did. You did. Appreciate okay. that. Thank you. I appreciate you. Welcome to James Hill TV, Black Millionaires Edition. We have a lawyer with us today, Jessica Tellerian. Thank you. Thank She's you. A, Happy to be here. Thank you. She's a personal trial injury lawyer um, with Esquire Law Group. Is that correct? It's Esquire Litigation Group, yes. Oh, Esquire Litigation Group. Okay, we definitely don't want to mess that up. And you're a managing attorney, managing founding partner um, of the Georgia office. You guys are based in Atlanta, um, down in Buckhead. So we're pretty close in terms of um, where we're located. So we definitely right. can do some work together in the future, even if it's another podcast. I really appreciate this. Um, so you have a unique background. You're from Detroit, correct? Yep, that's correct. <laughs> okay, you went to U of M. I know, I think we know a couple of people together, so we definitely gonna get into it. Oh, so, really nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we definitely gonna get into it. So let's just start, you know, just coming from the streets of Detroit, because I'm from Detroit as well. Um, oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So we got, we kind of got a lot in common, so we definitely gonna, we definitely gonna. Um, nice. What part of Detroit that. are you from? I'm from the east side. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, we definitely got a lot to go go into, but I want to um, hear about just your background, getting started, growing up in Detroit. Um, and did you always want to become a lawyer? Um, so I, initially I was living in a city called Dearborn. Are you familiar with it? Yeah, 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 for sure. So I lived there until I was like 12. And it was kind of funny because I went from being like the black person, the black kid in class. Because <laughs> like I looked at an old picture someone just uh, sent me of like my middle school photo. And it's like everyone is Arabic. And then there was like me, a black person, a white girl and like a Hispanic girl I was friends with. So we yeah. were like the minority or whatever. Um, and then I went from that to I um, did my eighth grade year at a black school. And I was like mm -hmm. instantly like the white girl. <laughs> so <laughs> it was just kind of like we were making that transition of being like the black kid my whole life. And then being like this the white kid um, when I went to the, um, the black school. Um, and it was really weird for me um, starting at that school because like everyone was just like, I feel like a lot cooler than me. And like, they mm. would like make fun of me because I guess I didn't cuss properly. And like, I didn't right. know how to like, I just didn't have the culture at all because I had been living in Dearborn for 12 years. Right. Um, and so then, I don't know, I just, I, I didn't really like being in Detroit that much. So mm. I ended up um, like applying for like a couple of years so that when I went to high school, um, I went, I ended up being able to get a scholarship to the Roper School. Are you familiar with it? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I ended up getting a scholarship there. So I ended up like my high school, the whole four years, I commuted from Seven Mile um, on the east side. Like, do you know Beirut? Oh, Seven yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. To... so I'm, from, I'm from Six Mile in Woodward. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, 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 I was right yeah. over there in Beirut, um, Seven Mile in Woodward. So commuting from there to the suburbs, and it was just like, you know, this, this weird situation where I'm going from like the hoodest of the hood to like the suburbs where like these kids, like their parents are trying to buy them new clothes and like, no, I want to wear my same Birkenstocks. And I'm like, I wish my mom was like forcing <laughs> some new stuff on me. Right. Um, so it was, you know, it was just kind of hard to stay focused, but luckily I did get that scholarship and I was able to go to, you know, the Roper School. I feel like it really shaped um, my framing of myself as a person and everything. Um, but I did see like the people that I went to school with for like the eighth grade year, it was like, they they put so much emphasis on even just passing the eighth grade. Like that was like a big accomplishment. Mm -hmm. um, whereas like when I had been living in Dearborn, like passing grades wasn't an accomplishment. That's like, right. you know, like that's what you're you know, supposed to do. Um, so I felt like I was fortunate to have that experience, but I know like if I probably would have went to the local high school, which was I think Pershing at the time, yeah. I don't think, you know, my life would have ended up you know, being the same. Um, and I, I wasn't really sure I wanted to be a lawyer. I was used before I was like really introverted, really shy. Um, and I, I met this guy in my high school. He was an attorney. He was someone's dad, I think. And he was so cool. And he had a Porsche and he was just like, I don't know, his vibe was just dope. And I like, I wanted that Porsche, I wanted that swag. Um, and then when I was getting a little older and into high school and even into college, I was thinking like, you know, I want something I could probably help my community and also you know, make money, make a good amount of money. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a, I, I was always between lawyer and doctor and I wasn't sure if I wanted to really do either, but I knew like the skills that I got in the legal field, I felt like were more transferable than like the medical skills. Yes. Um, and so that's kind of why I ended up ultimately um, deciding to go to law school. Okay. And you went to the University of Michigan? For undergrad. Yes. I went yeah. there for undergrad. Yeah. So mm -hmm. um, the person we know together is um, DiCarlo. 
Oh, that's my best male friend. Yes, yes. So, so my best friend. So my best friend. Um, her name is Chantanique, and she's um, co-workers with him at um some some place they work at. And yeah, so we hung out a few times. So um, that's funny. <laughs> when I I was it's so funny because I was talking to her, and I was just talking to her about my podcast, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm about to in- interview this girl named Jessica. She's a lawyer. She's like killing it." And he was like, she was like, what's her name on Instagram or uh, Twitter? I think that's what she used that's to be funny. on. And she was like, oh, that's that's the Carlo best friend. And, you know, whatever. Yeah. They knew each other. I think you guys met in Michigan, right? Yeah. Or, I met him my freshman year. So that was mm-hmm. back in 2000. And oh, I'm so old. 2007. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, he, I met him at um, her graduation. because She's actually a lawyer as well. So oh, that's, nice. yeah, that, that, that's pretty cool. Um, so, okay, so now you're you a lawyer. Let me ask you this. Do you look at yourself as a lawyer now or an entrepreneur because you are a founding member of this law firm and you guys are growing rapidly? You got, how many offices do you guys have now? Uh, we have six offices. Yeah, so do you look at yourself strictly as a lawyer or do you look at yourself kind of as an entrepreneur as well? Because um, you, you, you worked at a law firm before this, right? Yeah, so it's kind of weird because if you follow my Instagram and saw kind of what I was doing, it seems like with personal injury, I've went to three different firms, but it's been the same people since day one. We've just grown. So initially, Mm -hmm. um, well, actually, I was a prosecutor at first for a couple of years, but then when Mm -hmm. I went into the private space, I was working for a guy who's now my partner. His name is Reginald Reeves, Mm -hmm. and then his wife was also part of the firm, but she wasn't an attorney yet, and then he had his sister working there as a paralegal. So it was just us. We were sharing an office space with another attorney. Um, and then we grew and bought our own um, office and we, you know, brought on some more employees. Um, and then we ended up going into um, the Cochrane. Are you familiar with the Cochrane firm? The Cochrane? Like Johnny Cox- oh, yeah, like yeah, Johnny yeah. Johnny Cochrane. Okay, so, yeah. yeah, from OJ, right? That's the o- right, right, right. So um, <laughs> we ended up establishing the Cochrane firm in Jacksonville. So that was our office. Um, and we grew and had more people we brought on. And so then we ultimately left the Cochrane firm, all of us again. Mm-hmm. Um, and started our new firm, which was Esquire Litigation Group. And I decided to come out here and start the Atlanta office by myself. Um, and then we've been just growing. And now we went from, you know, like I said, myself and the other attorney and the, the, the his wife that wasn't an attorney yet, but she had graduated law school and his sister um, to, I think there's like eight or nine attorneys. I know we just hired two attorneys, um, one like last week, and then we just hired someone two days ago um, as an attorney as well. Um, so we have like eight or nine attorneys and then we have probably like around 25 or so or support staff. Um, mm-hmm. So we probably are like up to around 30 people. I don't know. He always hires people. I don't always know everyone he's hiring, but <laughs> we have like around 25 to 30 people now. So we've grown mm-hmm. a lot, um, but it's been the same team. We've just changed names from Justice League Law Group to the Cochran from Jacksonville and now Esquire Litigation Group. Okay. Now for you personally, why personal injury? Um, and I have another question following up after mm-hmm. that. So um let's say now you got your MBA um I did see that so you got your law degree from Florida State is that correct right Mm -hmm. okay so you got your law degree from Florida State and you go back to school to get your MBA now my question is um after you ask what I mean after you answer why a personal injury um when you go to law school can you transition into different areas of law or do you need to go get back license you need to retake a certification. So for example, you have your MBA, so it wouldn't be foreign um, if anybody see you 10 years from now saying, hey, I'm working with business owners um, as a trademark attorney, because you already, you're a founding member, which is entrepreneurial, and you got your MBA. So could you do that if you wanted to? Yeah, the only extra bar I know of that you have to take is if you want to do patent law, I think they they have a patent bar yeah. Um, but for most things you can do, you know, if you, if I want to do immigration tomorrow, I can start doing immigration. I just mm-hmm. have to have a certain standard. Like I can't mess some case up and say, oh, sorry, I just started doing this yesterday. I still have to be at the same standard. Right. Um, but it's not like with doctors where if they want to go from OBGYN to a neurosurgeon, they have to go do another residency. We right. don't have to do anything like that or take a different bar. Um, there, there are restrictions as far as crossing state lines. So mm-hmm. um, I was licensed in Florida. I got that license in 2014. I just moved to Georgia in um, October of 2020. Mm-hmm. However, I got my Georgia license in October of 2019. I had to actually sit for the bar. Um, so sometimes if you want to go from a state to another state, even if you've been practicing criminal defense for 20 years and you might want to go to the neighboring state, it might be 40 minutes away. Right. You may have to sit for another bar where at a minimum, if your city has, or sorry, if your state has reciprocity, you still will likely have to do the character and fitness. So they're approving and saying, hey, this person is fit 
to be an attorney within our state. Um, and mm -hmm. so that's more of the restriction as far as crossing state lines. Um, however, like if you switch practice areas, there's not really much of a, um, a bar or anything like that or prohibition from switching from practice area to the next. Like I said, outside of patent law, that's the only thing I know of that requires, um, I believe, an additional bar for that. And that's just because it's so technical. Yeah. Um, I think they just want to make sure that, you know, you're competent to do that. Mm -hmm. And why did you um, specifically choose uh, personal injury to focus on? Um, so I kind of always wanted to do personal injury. However, um, I initially started with um, working for the state attorney's office as a prosecutor because it's a great place to obtain um, trial experience. Um, and the reason why I like personal injury um, is a, it's kind of twofold. One, I obviously like helping my clients and it's an unfortunate situation. And a lot of people that are in accidents, they don't really realize that they can get compensation or that they can, you know, get money to pay for their medical bills. And so, mm -hmm. um, like, I know if I ever, you know, have friends back in Detroit, when they get in accidents, half the time people don't even have a license. So they're just like, hey, yeah, you know, yeah, let's yeah, just, yeah. like, let's not even involve the police. Like, you're good. You're, I'm good. Hey, here's 200. You can get that dent, like, knocked out or something. You know, it's like, that's more so the situation over there. So I never really even kind of knew this was like a thing until mm -hmm. I went to like, until I got a little further into my schooling it was like, oh, this is like, people actually get paid for getting hurt and they can actually get treatment, you mm -hmm. know, and everything else. And I personally have had um, an accident which caused me to have a disc herniation in my cervical and my lumbar spine, which give me um, pain and everything. And so just seeing how that like can affect um, my quality of life, wanting to help other people in those, in those situations. But then also obviously from the financial aspect, um, when you're dealing with different areas of law, like criminal law, family law, foreclosure, whatever it is, the amount of money you're paid as an attorney is kind of like commensurate with the amount of work that you're doing. So mm -hmm. if you're going to pay like $400 an hour, even or 500 or whatever it is, it can be a high hourly rate. It's overall reflective of, you know, the work you're doing and how many hours you're putting into it. Or if they even give you like, Hey, I'm going to pay you a one-time fee of $5,000. It's kind right. of still based on I'm charged with this, you know, second degree misdemeanor. And I think 5,000 is worth paying for that or, I'm charged with a murder, so I'm giving you 50000 or whatever the case is. So it's still reflective of how much time and effort you're probably spending on that case. Whereas with mm -hmm. personal injury, it's based on your client's injury. So you may, you know, have a client that is severely injured, they're paralyzed, or perhaps they've died, or perhaps they've broken whatever it is, and their case is now worth hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. You may just send a demand off, and they might pay it right then and there, where you've kind of done like a minor amount of work, but your reputation and everything caused them to settle the case out. So it's more so the money is based on your client's injuries as opposed to not necessarily the amount of time that you're putting into it. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes I find when the case resolves itself that if I look at my hourly amount, the hourly amount is well over like how much I would bill if I was charging someone per hour, like 400 an hour, it's well over that mm -hmm. um, just based on how much time I've spent on the case. Um, and so I really like that aspect of it. Um, and like I said, I, I like being able to help people that are in that type of situation and kind of directing them to the right care and being able to get them a good recovery. Yeah. So you basically made the, the decision to charge your value and not per hour. Well, it's not, it's not really me. It's just like every well, person. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm just saying, much. yeah. I mean, well, not you specifically, I'm saying you made that decision, um, based on, uh, you saw a higher upside. And you yeah, can help people. You can help people. I feel like you can get more money. And then also, I really don't like, like I've had, I've done it before where I've had the clients paying me up front and I just feel bad a lot of times because a lot of times they don't have the money really to pay for your services. So they have to like get another mortgage or, you know, do different yeah. things to get that three, four, five thousand dollars ten thousand $10,000, whatever it is. Whereas like, it's always a great feeling when I can call my client and say, Hey, I just got this much for your case and now you're going to be getting this much money. Like, Hey, come pick your check up for $500,000. That feels a yeah. lot better than give me $10,000. So it, mm -hmm. I like the fee structure because it's not, the client doesn't pay you anything up front. And if the case is not successful, the client doesn't pay you anything. Um, and wow. so it makes the legal services accessible to everybody. So they don't have to have money to pay for it up front. Wow. Wow. So in a sense, it's, that structure is a way of betting on yourself and saying, hey, once I provide a good, and you, you said something, once, once I provide a good quality service, and you said something as right. well. Um, okay, hold on, I got another question. It, it, I, I don't want to pass this. No, you're good. When, and I thought about it when you said this. Now, if somebody get into a car accident, somebody told me this when I was real young. When somebody get in a car accident, right, two people get in an right. accident. And one person get out and say, oh, my God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And the person records right. that on their phone. Right. Is that 
admitting guilt. So does that hurt your case as an attorney when you're going in there if your client has said, hey, I'm sorry and kept apologizing um, once an accident happens? That isn't something I would advise to say to anybody if you are in an accident, because if it does end up like if you settle a case without filing a lawsuit, they don't really like they're pretty much most of the time just accepting the liability in that situation. But if you're going into litigation and I'm deposing your client and I'm asking them like, hey, did you say anything to my client, you know, when the accident happened? And they're like, yeah, I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like that can look really bad. Mm -hmm. um, and so and, and most likely that would be admissible. Now, different states have different rules like we're not going to um, include if they say, hey, I'll pay your medical bills. We're not going to include that because they want people to offer up to do that. But right. if you say like, I'm sorry, or, you know, my bad, I was looking at my phone or whoopsie daisies or something like that, right. that will most likely be admissible depending on which state you're in. And so I would really suggest against doing that, mm -hmm. especially if you feel like you may have caused the accident. Um, because again, that will likely be something that could be used against you, especially if the case goes into litigation. Mm -hmm. Now, you, you said one thing um, that was really important. You said a lot of times people, depending on your reputation as a lawyer, would settle mm -hmm. out instead of going to, you know, going to court and fighting it. Um, right. Could you talk about that a little? Because, I mean, that's I'm a marketing and branding person. So I tell people right. that all the time, like who you are, your reputation, your brand. Sometimes people are willing to pay more or they right. respect you to a certain level. So they won't try certain things with you that they would try with other people. So could you expand on that a little bit? Um, yeah, so within the litigation, I mean, sorry, within the personal injury space, the um, insurance companies, they know like who's willing to go to trial, who's willing to file lawsuits and everything else and what type of recovery that firm is known for getting or that attorney is known for getting. So if they know like regardless, this attorney is not gonna file a lawsuit, they're gonna give you trash offers because they know like you're not gonna do anything about it. You're gonna end up ultimately accepting it. So like I've had lawsuits where the person only had a $10,000 policy, but they only offered us like maybe 4,000. We felt like we were entitled to the entire amount. So we mm -hmm. would just file a lawsuit just to show them like, we'll fight you over anything, you right. know? And then they'll call us like, before we even serve their clients, like, hey, we'll pay, you know, where do we send the check? But it's like, they're just testing you or whatever it is. And so I feel like now, I get a lot better offers than I did when I initially started doing personal injury because they know, okay, she'll file a lawsuit, you know, with no problem. Like if she says she's going to file the lawsuit, the lawsuit's going to get filed probably tomorrow. Like, you know, it's, it's not going to be much of a delay and it's actually going to happen where some people say they're going to file a lawsuit and they never do. So they don't really mm -hmm. have to worry about it. And then they're still going to just, like I said, end up settling. So the more, you know, that you're, that you're willing to fight in that way, then a lot of your other cases that you don't file lawsuits on will still give you a good offer and won't really make you have to jump through those hoops. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why sometimes clients, like they don't necessarily understand the need for an attorney with regards to personal injury because they're like, well, I'm hurt. The insurance adjuster said that their their client was at fault. So like, they're going to pay me. And I'm like, no, right. they'll probably give an unrepresented person like a thousand or two, but they're not going to give you a real payout because they know mm -hmm. you don't know what to do. And also like typically if I come in contact with a person who hasn't had an attorney and it's been like, you know, a couple months since their case, they probably haven't really been treating properly. So they haven't been working their case up. They haven't done anything to increase the value of their case. And now they're like, oh, it's been six months since, I'm, since my um, crash. Do something for me. I'm like, it's, it's probably too late at this point because you right. you went all this time, haven't seen a doctor, haven't done anything else. And that's what they kind of look for is like, what type of injuries is that, do they have? They look for um, diagnostic findings. Like, hey, look at these fractures. Look at these herniations. You don't have any of that. So by this point, you could have gotten into a whole other accident. Like it's going to be harder to really um, prove anything at this point. So that's our whole point is like if, if, if attorneys, I mean, if, if clients were just able to go out and tell the insurance adjusters what their problems were and get paid, mm -hmm. they would never need us. Like we wouldn't have a job. But the reason why we have a job is because they're not fair and they don't give them realistic offers mm -hmm. um, based on their injuries. They have to get an attorney that's willing to go in there and fight for them. Yeah. And I think, um, as a, someone who's not an attorney, I think your perception growing up is if I get into an accident, I'm going, we just saw all these shows where divorce court and all that, where it's like the person you had an accident with versus right. you and the judge. And it's like, you guys are debating back and forth, but right. that's not the reality. The reality, right. it sounds like you as an attorney representing your client, you're negotiating with the um, insurance company, not necessarily the client, correct? Right. I, I rarely would talk to the at-fault party, 
Um, the only situations that would happen would be um, if I, when I'm deposing their client. So if we do have to go into litigation, um, then I would depose their client and I would basically ask them about how the accident happened and everything else. Um, and then aside from that, in mediation, I don't have a conversation with their client. Like their client doesn't have to talk back. I'm sorry, the, the defendant doesn't have to talk back to me, but I'll speak mm -hmm. directly to the client. So I will speak to that defendant and kind of tell them like what's going on, why I feel like I have a valuable claim, why they should push their um, the insurance adjusters to pay me um, and everything else. And then also if it was in trial, if it was to go to actually to go to trial, um, then I would speak directly to the defendant again and I would ask the defendant questions. But other than that, in pre-suit, which is before filing the lawsuit, I'm speaking to the adjuster. And then mm -hmm. in litigation, I'm speaking to the defense attorney. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I love marketing. So I want to transition into marketing okay. and you know social media and things like that. In your opinion, and all the law firms and all the experience that you have, what's the most effective medium for getting clients in terms of personal injury? Um, because I feel like I, I go around and I see all these billboards and I'll be like, is that really effective? Um, I hear, obviously we hear the rap shows and the radio on the radio and all that when people talk you know, about- You know, who was it? Trick Daddy or who was that? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was that guy from Detroit that was doing the- um, I thought it was Trick Daddy. It was Trick Daddy, it, wasn't it? No, it, not Trick Daddy. It's the other guy. Who's that rapper in Detroit that's like kind of like a murderer a little bit? And he had, he was doing like the 401 pain thing. I forgot his <laughs> name, but- He's like a big rapper in Detroit that's like also probably killed a few people. I forgot his mm -hmm. name, but I know he was doing one of those commercials. Um, but yeah, go, keep going. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, yeah. So what's the most effective way? Because we hear radio ads with the 411 pain and all of that. We I see a lot of, um, and I see this a lot with the billboards, it's either restaurants or like personal injury or, or attorney services. Right. And I know you, I see you because I follow you on social media. Right. Um, you always talking about being able to get clients on social media. So which way right. do you think is most effective? Um, I think it just, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, so I think it just depends on your budget um, and also your social media platform. So for example, if you have a very small budget and you're only gonna run the radio ad on um, Pandora or on you know whatever TV show for a month, you're right. not going to get clients from that. So it's not going to really be very effective. Like, for example, I have two billboards now in Atlanta and mm -hmm. I haven't got any clients from there really because it's only two and I've only had them for, I think, like two or three months now. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. It's been like just a few months. It hasn't been that long. I think it's been since like um, the beginning of October. So maybe a little longer than that. But it, it hasn't been up for that long. Um, and it's only two, whereas like there's some people that have you know, 30, 40 billboards, like, you know, Jemana K. Roos, like, mm -hmm. she has billboards all through the city, like, you can't, Sam Bernstein in Detroit, he has billboards all through the city. Jemana K. Roos, is she, um, is she Latino? I think she's Arab. Oh, okay, I think I know You know, the, the blonde lady, she, like, she has billboards everywhere, like, she's okay. been up since we, were, since we were kids, like, and then Sam Bernstein, that's the whole family got on, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think one of the kids, I think one of the sons, the blind one, I think he was on the Supreme Court in Michigan, like, mm -hmm. the whole family is lit, and, like, now to the point where he just has 1-800-CALL in his face, and we know to call Sam, like, right. we know that number, he's been an attorney since, you know, since I was a child, like, his, his uh, kids have been attorneys for years and years now, like, mm -hmm. we know who they are, so just seeing their billboard, we already have that brand recognition, you know, like it's like almost like McDonald's. Like I already know McDonald's all these years, but right. the billboard just reminded me I was hungry and it's on exit eight. So I'm going to get off on exit eight and go get McDonald's. Right. Um, if you're an attorney, I think it's good. And like, it helps with the brand recognition. Like for me, I wanted to have it just because I felt like a lot of the small black firms, they don't really spend any money on branding. And I feel right. like, you know, people are going to see it at the end of the day. I think they say like, um, 60 or 70 or 100,000 people drive by per week or month or whatever it is, the specific mm -hmm. piece of the billboards I have. So people are seeing it and they're just helping with that brand recognition, but it takes so long of seeing that to eventually say, okay, yeah, let me call that person. So I ultimately right. want to have probably like 10 billboards around the city. So you're going to see mm -hmm. it at different intersections and then finally be like, okay, let me give her a call. Mm -hmm. Similarly, we have a TV um, commercial that we have running around in Jacksonville or mm -hmm. running in Jacksonville and like parts of South uh, Georgia. But at the same time, I don't know that we're necessarily getting so many clients. We get some, but it's more so like that recognition. Like I hear people like randomly, like that I know in Jacksonville, like, oh, I saw your commercial. Like I was just talking to my financial planner right. a couple of days ago. He's like, I saw your commercial. And the more people see you in different places, mm -hmm. the more it's like building that legitimacy and the more they might eventually call you and the more they can kind of see you as like a professional service. And so 
it just depends. Like if you're going to go to a market and spend, you know, 300 K per month in that market, flooding it with, with traditional advertising, like TV, radio, billboards, that would probably work pretty well for you after, you know, mm-hmm. six or seven months or a year. If you have a smaller budget, you have to understand it's going to take time for that to actually turn into clients. And then similarly with social media, if you only have 200 followers, you can post on there all day, but you might not get anything because you don't have that many followers. Um, And so you have to kind of build your audience up. Like for me, I get a lot of Twitter um, cases, um, but most people I know only have like a thousand or less Twitter followers. And I have like um, 35,000 on there. So I have more, more followers than most people on Twitter because Twitter is a very hard platform to build up followers. Yeah, so I still haven't cracked the code. I cracked Instagram. I'm, I'm working on YouTube. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't went viral on Twitter multiple times and I still don't be getting followers. I don't know. <laughs> the problem is you got to have a specific group that you're part of. The mm-hmm. reason why I have followers is because I'm in the gay community. So everyone, like, when I see a gay person follows me and I see their little rainbow bio or rainbow <laughs> flag, they just right. get a follow every time they get a mm-hmm. follow or I'm part of Armenian Twitter. Anybody with the Armenian flag, they get a follow. Um, you know, anyone that's in my, I'm, I'm in a small sorority, but anyone that's in that, they get a follow. So the, the gay community is just so big that right. there's just so many people that have given me a follow based off of that. Um, but if I was just part of the regular black Twitter, which is <laughs> so expensive, people wouldn't just follow me just because I'm black because there's so many, you know, black people on black Twitter. Like that isn't really right. specific enough. So like if you're a Nigerian or something, everyone that has that Nigerian flag is probably going to get a follow from you, you know, or mm-hmm. if you're whatever it is, like you might follow people from your ethnicity or from your group or whatever. And like I said, the gays, we all follow each other. Um, and that's the only reason why I got that many followers because beforehand I was in there talking to myself. Like when I was, yeah. when I didn't post about the gay stuff, it was like, mm-hmm. I post my best pick and I get two likes on it. So it was like, <laughs> they were just disrespecting me or whatever. Um, so I think that's the thing on Twitter, but like I get a lot of Twitter cases because of that. Whereas like most people I know, they don't really have a Twitter following. They don't really have engagement. They're talking to themselves most of the time. Like mm-hmm. they're not going to get cases from that. Um, but the easiest place is Facebook for me, for like, if you don't have a lot of followers, because unlike Twitter, unlike um, Instagram, unlike a lot of these other pl- platforms, even Clubhouse now, if you add someone on those profiles, they don't necessarily have to add you back. So you can end up just being more of a fan than a, than a friend. Right. Whereas on Facebook, if I add you and you accept it, then now we're friends. I'm yes. not just a follower to you. So on that, it's going to at least be equal. And then mm-hmm. also like with Facebook, you can more so target your specific city. So if you're trying to get clients in a specific city, what I do is I'll just look for people that went to like the local high school. I'll just start adding them all or, you know, whatever else. And now I have people in that city and they're all following me. And then after a while, at first they might be like, do I know you? But then when they see me and a hundred people that are in common, like when they look at me and they see like, oh, you know, all hundred of your friends follow this person. Yeah. They're like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and accept her. She must be part of the crew because a hundred of my friends already follow her. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's an easy way to build up people on Facebook. Um, but again, it just really just depends on what's a good platform for you. Because like you said, you've been able to have a lot of success on Instagram, whereas like Facebook, you can't even have 300 something thousand people on Facebook, you know, right. and like with Twitter, it sounds like you've been having more trouble on Twitter. So mm-hmm. it's just really finding your niche, finding the place that's best for you. Or someone might be really good at Clubhouse or good at talking. So that might be a right. good place for them to go. Um, it's just really just where, where, what platform is most ideal for what you have to offer. Like you might be a dancing person. I'm not a dancing person. And then your TikToks might take off. But me, right. I don't dance. So like TikTok, I'm too like boring for that. Like I won't get any followers on there so just figuring out what the platform is about and what you have to contribute to it and then figuring out which one fits best with what what you can contribute to people Mm -hmm. now when you went when you got your law degree um Mm -hmm. what made you go back and get your mba is that something you somebody you know one of your mentors said hey you should probably get your mba or why did you think about going down that route um to answer your question, because it's, you kind of touched on two things. Um, one is that I feel like at this point in my career, I don't have any mentors. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I don't want any. It's because, like, people are way more willing to help you when they see you coming up and they see you, like, in law school or whatever it is. And now that, like, I have, like, somewhat of, like, nationwide recognition of people knowing me as an attorney and kind of seeing my different moves and, like, you know, just whatever else. Like, a lot of people respect what I'm doing. People don't really want to support me. Like, I've had friends of mine that I thought I was cool with that used to kind of help me with stuff 
like start jokingly like oh you know you need to kind of you know stay in your box over there and then like ultimately kind of like you know those situations kind of falling out or whatever mm. just the more I progress so I feel like it's always easier to get um mentorship when you're still kind of figuring it out like we you yeah. know when you're you've seen you've seen different rappers or whatever kind of talk about this like when they were coming up trying to get people to stream their songs it's like they could you know talk to those certain people if they did have that chance and they would kind of talk to them have more of an engagement and then when they're you know like I feel like Cardi talks about this too like you know yeah. a lot or whatever like people kind of not really wanting to give that same energy when she's like on top or whatever and I feel like that's the issue I've had so I yeah. definitely suggest like getting mentorship while you're still in law school while you're still an undergrad because once you graduate you go from being like, oh, look at this cute law school student that wants advice to like, oh, that's a rival. I don't see it like that because I feel like we can all eat, but a lot of people really do see it like that, especially if you're in their territory mm-hmm. and everyone does PI. So it's like, dang, you're getting all these PI kicks. You're taking money out of my mouth. Like, um, but to answer your other question, um, what was the other part of the question? I'm sorry. Uh, I, just, uh, I forgot it was uh, tangent. Why did you decide to get your MBA? And then I asked if you oh. um, got it recommended by a mentor and you started talking about okay. mentorship. So, yeah. So, MBA. The MBA, um, I always liked the course matter, like the subject matter I felt like was mm-hmm. interesting and I always thought it was something I might want to do. Um, aside from that, I was working for the state and they made it available to me as far as like something I could do for free. Um, so I could take two classes a semester and I could take up to three three semesters. So I can basically take um, two classes um, for uh, fall, uh, some, uh, spring, and then also for summer each year that I was working with the state and then I just used to have to do like for each semester do a fee waiver and then as long as my boss signed off on it I would get that tuition waived um, for that semester mm-hmm. so I pretty much was able to do the entire degree outside of I think I had like three or four classes on the back end when I had already left the state attorney's office that I had to pay for mm-hmm. um, which was like seven thousand dollars or it was very cheap right. um, but the, the bulk of my degree was free um, because of working at the state attorney's office so I basically was getting a free degree I wanted to learn the subject matter and I feel like as a young black female, you can never have, you know, too many stars, too many awards, too many degrees. Right. It's, it's just something when they feel like you're in a certain position, you must have the bare minimum. It's like, no, okay, here's, you know, I went and got a business law certificate with, with my JD, which has honors on it as well. Mm-hmm. I went and got this MBA. It's like, let me just add something extra to the pot. Like, so it's like, right. oh, no, I don't have the, the bare minimum. Here's some extra degrees. Let me go get another bar license. Let me go get, you know, this extra stuff on top of it. Um, just to kind of, you know, season the pot a little bit. So yeah. it was kind of like a mix of those things. And I just like school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, well, what's the best, and what's the best master's degree that's like the skills are transferable that everyone respects? Like whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a pharmacist, an engineer, entrepreneur, I feel like everyone respects the MBA. So mm-hmm. I was like, my, it's free. I might as well. So <laughs> I, I did that and I graduated um, in 2019 with that degree. Yeah, you said something that was very important and I'm experiencing them. I'm like in the middle of this now. So I started my Instagram. Um, I was just, you know, I was an entrepreneurial guy, you know, but I was, I was figuring it out. Right. I I wasn't really succeeding, but I was put, I'm the type of person that if I don't know something, I'm willing to put myself out there in order to succeed. And I'm willing to get laughed at. So like, I remember when I used to do videos on a cheap camera in like college, People used right. to like laugh and there used to be some people who used to give me some feedback and, and this, that, and the third. And right. then I started getting paid speaking engagements and people start like, oh, so how, how did you learn to speak like this? Right. How did you learn to connect with people? And I'm like, well, I was speaking in front of 40, 50 people in my freshman year in college and y'all was laughing. Now nah, senior right. year, now I'm getting paid. And then now, you know, I, I failed, failed, failed um, with the video stuff. And I figured out a lot of ways to get better at video and media. And now when I started Black Millionaires, I already had all of those skills. I just didn't have the success in front of me. So right. it was a lot of people who, when I first started going viral and got like 10K in two months, people were reaching out to me, hey, I want to mentor you. People who had like 60 or 70K, right? I want right. to, you know, chop it with you. I see you doing, I like your platform. And then when I passed them up, right. then, you know, they started acting weird. And then one guy, he actually blocked me. I, I was like, wow, I ain't seen his content in a minute. And I've tried to search the page and I'm like, am I blocked? And I went on, on one of my friend's page and I asked him, are you still be seeing what's the name? Cause he was like somebody we right. talked, I, t- I used to talk to a right. lot and I used to partner with a lot. And then I saw it blocked and I'm like, what's going on? And then one of his friends reached out to me like X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. And then um, I realized that, oh, he saw me as this guy that's just trying to come up. 
and yeah. he looked at himself as somebody who's already on. Now that I passed that, to stroke his ego, now he looking at me like the mentor has surpassed, the, you know, I, I surpassed him. Right. And now it's like, oh, we competing and, you know, we're not even like, we never was really friends because it was like a social media thing. But right. I mean, to block somebody, that means you don't want to see their content at all. And you kind of like right. got a grudge against them. So not, yeah, that, that's very weird. So I think- And that's really you, sad that that's how people are. Cause like, you're mm -hmm. just, sounds like you're just living your life, not even thinking about it. And then you ultimately like, oh, I wonder where someone's so. Yeah. Cause we used to engage, like we literally used to, like that was kind of a unspoken rule, like to grow on social media, especially Instagram. You go comment on somebody else's stuff, engage with their content, they engage with yours. They share right. yours, you share theirs. Like, that's just how people grow on Instagram. Right, of course, I always do that. Yeah, and, you know, I was like, wow, first he hadn't commented on my stuff in a minute. So I was like, all right, I ain't tripping. But I haven't seen any of his stuff at all. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's, I have no grudge against nobody. I really don't care. But now I realize that once I start doing really good, the people who I saw as popping on social media and who reached out right. to me, and now they don't talk to me anymore, now it's like real successful people. So like I got a mentor now, he's a multimillionaire. And he reached right. out to me and was like, hey, your page named Black Millionaire. Why well, I'm not on your page, right? So I'm like, uh, I don't know you're a Black Millionaire. So we connected around that and he started mentoring me about business and things like that. Right. And he don't have a social media following at all. I mean, he probably got like 1800 followers that I helped him, I helped him get. Right. But because he's, filthy rich right he's looking at me like i mean i'm just some i'm just here to help you you can't really i can't do anything for him other than give him a platform which we work together on so i feel like once you you can have a mentor but you have to constantly replace your mentor as you progress the person who was originally mentoring you can't necessarily mentor you because now right. they become either a peer and then they start to look at you like oh you're taking off my plate now so right it's weird I completely um, agree with that sentiment. So what made you move to Atlanta? Um, oh, I always loved Atlanta. That was like my first, like when I used to leave Detroit and like go on a little vacation, <laughs> that was like my first little city I was going to was um, Atlanta. I used to come here when I was like, I think I started coming here around like 18 or so. Um, mm -hmm. And then I just always would come back. And then obviously just if you're in the gay world, like this is like the black gay Mecca. Cause like mm -hmm. there's other cities like San Francisco, but that's more like for like the white gay guys. Like right, this right, is right, like right. black gays, like this is it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I just love seeing like the success of like people, like nothing against any other races, but I just love seeing that. Yeah. Um, and just coming here and like, I mean, obviously we have the scammers and you know, everything else yeah. like other cities, <laughs> but we also have a lot of black doctors, black lawyers, like pharmacists, mm -hmm. like engineers. And you can actually go out and hang out with these people and they're cool. It's not like they're just so stuffy, like, cause they're so used to assimilating in their other cities where they kind of like play mm -hmm. that role. It's like, no, we can still act natural here. Cause this is like our city or whatever. So right. I just really like that aspect of it. Um, it's a really fun place. I feel like there's just so much to do here. Um, yeah, I love Atlanta. And I, and also the top of the country is cut off for me cause I just didn't want to be cold. I already did that 21 yeah. years. So I didn't want to be cold. And then I wanted to be somewhere that was lit, black, and gay. So, mm -hmm. I mean, where else? Like, Houston <laughs> is like Atlanta part two, but it's like, why not yeah. just go to, like, the original? And then Cali's just too far out by itself. Right. And then other than that, it's like, where else? I mean, Florida, I didn't really like Florida that much. Like, I lived there for eight years, and I'm not a big fan. Yeah, I um, um I've spent some time in Houston this year. My girlfriend, she's in school there. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, so I spent some time in Houston, and I, I I actually like it. I mean, it was the pandemic, so I didn't get the full Houston, right? right? But I all when I moved down here and the weather and all that, I'm like, how did I stay in Michigan that long? <laughs> like the exactly. weather up there is just terrible, dealing with winter and you know, black ice and all that other crazy stuff. Like I don't understand. Like I, I really I, I don't understand how I did it. Um, so, so when you moved to Atlanta, did you decide to move to Atlanta based on business and personal? So did you guys say, Hey, we wanted to open up, we want to open up an Atlanta office. So I'm gonna move here. Cause if they wanted to open up a Tennessee office, would you would have moved to Tennessee? It wasn't really like that. Um, that wasn't how things really went. It was more so I had been wanting to come to Atlanta. 
So when I met my fiance, um, she was living in Atlanta and I had mm-hmm. took like probably four or five months off from when I had um, left the state attorney's office. I don't know the exact amount. It was like three to four months. Um, right. I, I didn't go straight back to working. I went on like sabbatical. So I went to Europe twice. I went wow. to um, St. Thomas. I was just going all over the country. Where did you go in Europe? Where did you go in Europe? I was more in like Eastern Europe. I was in like um, Belarus, which is like by Russia, um, mm-hmm. Copenhagen, Sweden. I don't know places like that. I think I, I I've been to um, I've been to Amsterdam. I was there for two weeks. Oh, nice. um, did a study abroad, so I was trying to figure out how close that was. Obviously, I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, I went to, I went to Amsterdam before. I just didn't go on that trip. Um, my aunt actually was living out there, so I went out there and visited her. Um, actually, with my fiance, like I think like a year or so after. Um, and I, I did a study abroad also in, um, you know where Oxford is? It's by London. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I did a study abroad there. So when I was there back in law school, I kind of like went all over. But yeah, so I, did, I took my little time off, like was enjoying myself. And then my base, I had my place in, in Florida, but I was kind of going back um, to um, Atlanta as a base. And I was kind of staying with one of my friends instead of going back to my apartment in, in Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. And then I met my um, now fiance at, at that during that time period. And so she was living there. Then I ended up moving in January 2018 to Jacksonville, Florida, when I got this job. And so what happened was, you know, she was living there. I was living in Jacksonville. And I would come to Atlanta. I would fly there every single weekend on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And she would fly every week during the week because we had opposite work schedules. Right. Um, and then she ended up moving in October of 2018. But I still kept coming back. Like, we kept coming back, like, every other, like, probably twice a month we would come back to Atlanta. So we just kept coming to Atlanta, even with us moving, she moved to Jacksonville the whole time. We pretty much kept coming back. Um, We were always like, it wouldn't like be at least a month that went by. We we, we wouldn't at least come once for the most part, except for like when pandemic first hit for like those months where everyone was like really worried. We kind of stopped coming for like maybe six months or so. Um, But other than that, we kept coming back and then an opportunity opened up for, um, I had already took the Georgia bar. I'd already passed the Georgia bar at this point anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were with Cochran. So I couldn't start an office in Atlanta because there was already Cochran Atlanta. And they're really big and they do great things out here. Um, right. So I, that wasn't really possible. But when we decided we were going to leave Cochran and kind of start our own situation, I wanted to move to Atlanta. So I was like, all right, I'm going to move to Atlanta. I'm going to just make it out here, start this office. Um, so I started the office here in the end of October. And I've already like, like I said before, I already hired the girl, um, a girl to um, be in a litigation our attorney out here. I want to expand mm-hmm. the office out here and make it really big. Um, but yeah, it was it wasn't like I was told to go to Atlanta. Like I was right. like, I'm going to Atlanta. I want to go to Atlanta. That was like one of our deciding factors as to whether we were going to leave Cochrane or not. Was like, mm-hmm. hey, we want to kind of start expanding, and we can't do that because like we we made it to Houston office. We couldn't do that because they already have Houston. Right. We got a Miami office, a Hollywood office. They already have that. Like so everywhere you guys, we wanted to y'all would have had to go in smaller areas. Uh, I mean, smaller yeah. markets in order to expand. Yeah, exactly. And then it would still like be subjected to whether or not it would have been approved. Whereas, like, if we were our own situation, we can go wherever we want. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it was kind of that. Like, you know, we we loved our time with them. It was just that we decided, like, hey, let's just bet on ourselves. Let's start our own situation. Let let's try to grow. Um, and we wouldn't be able to have that growth because they already have. 30 offices nationwide. Like they're even right. like Milwaukee and like other places. Like they, they have a lot of offices. Um, and so it would be very hard to find a place that I would actually want to go that doesn't mm-hmm. already have an office. Mm-hmm. Now, what are the steps to um, hiring a, an attorney and, and finding someone that fits per- perfect for your situation? Because I feel like, um, like obviously if I need an attorney in that right. space, hopefully I never do because, you know, personal injury, that's like, wow, I don't want to wish that on myself. But if I do, I know your firm offers that service right. and I will come to you guys. But if I didn't know you um, and I'm just driving and I see 10 different, um, you know, billboards and I see hear all these different radio ads, like how how as a consumer or as a client do I make a decision on who I need to work for or work with? Do I interview like multiple firms and then see who can take my case? It's really hard because typically like people are really just going, a lot of the, the actual people that end up being clients are a, a lot of times like lower income and everything. And so a lot of them mm-hmm. don't actually know any attorneys personally. Um, mm-hmm. If you do know an attorney, I would suggest asking them because even if they do immigration, for example, or whatever else, criminal defense, and they don't do it, personal injury or they mm-hmm. don't do whatever it is that you're looking for, it's still better to get a referral to somebody 
instead mm-hmm. of just going based off a of billboard. Because the thing is, just because you see someone on a billboard doesn't mean they're actually a good attorney. Right. So there's a lot of attorneys that are on billboards that make a lot of money, but they're like basic. Like if you just have a regular case, like you're just, you know, $25,000 policy in Georgia, state minimum, you're just a regular little fender bender. You're not that hurt, but you have some issues, some back issues, whatever, maybe a little herniation or whatever it is. That isn't necessarily going to be that important to that firm. So like, yeah, if you died and, you know, your your baby died and whatever, that's going to probably go to their best attorneys that are very senior. But if it's just a regular case, a lot of times in some firms, they don't even let you speak with an attorney. You're not necessarily getting like that great service that you think you're getting just because you've seen that attorney on a lot of ads. And so um, especially when you have a smaller case, I would definitely like want a recommendation because like I said, a lot of firms don't really care about those smaller clients because they know like, hey, we're only going to make, you know, you know, six, seven thousand off this case right. or whatever. Whereas this other case, we're going to make three hundred thousand off of it. So we're going to put way more effort into that case. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would definitely try to suggest like contacting friends or family members and maybe they know somebody. And mm-hmm. if you can't get a personal referral, I would just look. Uh, like if you do see someone that you want to like work with if you have googled it or whatever it is I would try to search for reviews and see if I could find any reviews and also try to figure out like like go on their website and figure out who's actually going to be representing you so if someone if you do talk to someone from the office like who's actually going to be my attorney can mm-hmm. I have contact information for them like where am I going to just get passed along from assistant to assistant me I have my personal work cell phone number in my bio everywhere I give my clients my work cell phone number which right. is my direct, it's an actual cell phone that's, that's sitting right over there on my couch that if they call that number, they're going to talk to me. Not No one else right. is picking it up but me. Obviously, mm-hmm. I can't always answer it, so I also give them my office number because I have a lot of things going on. I might be in mediation, depositions. I might be on the phone with another client. So, mm-hmm. hey, if they need something urgently, they can't wait. Here's my office number. Just talk to my assistant. Talk to mm-hmm. one of the other lawyers. But they at least know, like, hey, I can call Jessica directly. I can text Jessica directly. As opposed to a lot of other firms, you have to be on a long, long waiting list to speak with your attorney. Right. Um, and so that's what I would suggest, like making sure you know who's who's actually going to be representing you and actually trying to speak with that person and not just getting passed only to case managers or assistants. And if they do that from day one where you're not even signed, you have to worry that you're for sure not going to talk to an attorney in the future because this is when they're trying to get you to be a client. Mm-hmm. Like in the future, they're going to care less because you've already signed up. Um, so just making sure you actually get in to speak with an attorney, because I feel like that's one of the main complaints I hear from um, from clients that end up coming to my firm. It's like, I never talked to my attorney. I only spoke with case managers. Um, I don't even know who my attorney is. Like some of those are like some of the main complaints that I hear. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about the the business of being an attorney and um, having your own law firm and things of that nature. Right. What goes into starting up a law firm? Is it do you need a lot of money as an attorney to start up a law firm? I think more than money, um, you do obviously need money to start it up, especially if you're doing personal injury. Mm-hmm. Some attorneys, I think there's like programs where you can kind of take loans on having cases. I've never done that. And I, I don't like that idea, but I, I think there's something like along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the main issue is if you can bring cases in. So if you can't bring cases in, I don't think it's a good idea to like have your own firm because right. if you don't have cases, you don't have money, you're not going to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's the biggest thing is like, how are you going to drive clients and what's your ideal client and how are you going to bring that person in? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can bring clients and you can you can always pay someone to figure out the rest. Like we're big on hiring. Like I said, we just hired two attorneys within like the last week and a half. Like we're always hiring support staff. We're always mm-hmm. expanding like that's something we're big on. But a lot of um, smaller black firms, it's to the death of them there. It's just them and like one assistant or them and one partner. Yeah. And that's it. They don't they don't ever reinvest that money into hiring someone. Like I just settled this case on New Year's Eve. We got like two hundred and almost like twenty K in attorney's fees. We went right back and hired the girl I told you that's gonna be out that's out here now. And then right. I just um settled another case, um, what, two days ago and I got like another uh, forty thousand attorney's fees or so. Mm-hmm. And so between those two it's like we just hired you know, the two extra people, which we mm-hmm. already have money to hire them. It's just it's just nice when you have like an extra bonus come along that yeah. can basically pay for these people's yearly salaries or whatever it is. And so um, I just say that to say, like, don't just keep all that money for yourself. Like, go back and hire more people. And mm-hmm. also, like, with a lot of these firms, you see that target Black people um, as clients, a lot of them don't hire Black. So right. for me, I would feel skeptical of hiring a firm that's in the, that's billboards and that's ads run and target 
um, my demographic when I look on their website and I don't see anyone of my demographic. Whereas right. our firm, we actually have, our firm is a black firm. Like we have like one assistant or a secretary that's not black, but everyone else is black in our firm. And we have majority black clients, but that's the thing. We actually put our money back into the community. We're not just coming out and maybe doing one turkey drive and that's it. It's like, no, <laughs> more so than that, it's like we're giving these people jobs or whatever, which right. is allowing them to pay for their own stuff and not having to need to get that free turkey on Thanksgiving. Like, so we, and we hire people that maybe may, may not even have had 20 years of experience or whatever else it is. And we're giving them that training. We're teaching them what to do right. um, in, in, in the job instead of like, hey, you want to be a case manager, but you haven't been a case manager before, so you can never do this. We can't, you know, we're not willing to train you. We try to we try to give opportunities to people instead of just, like I said, showing face, taking pictures, holding the turkey, holding up the, the thousand or two we spent in Christmas presents. Like, we spent right. a lot of money every month, you know, keeping our staff employed and everything else. And so I, I feel like that that's important as far as growing your firm and also choosing a firm as well, if, if that's something that's important to you. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like the, the the most capital intensive part of having a law firm is the people and paying the lawyers and expanding your team. Is that, is that correct? It is if you actually want to expand. But like I said, a lot of people don't care about that. A lot of people they just are, care about, good. you know, yeah, they just just keeping as much money for themselves. And like, like mm -hmm. I said, a lot of attorneys will die with just them and an assistant. And that's it. Like a lot of attorneys are not really focused on expansion, which it's not to say one model is better than the next. Like if that works right. for them, obviously that's, that works for them. But my goal is not to have like a boutique firm. I want to have the biggest black firm and ultimately the biggest firm in the country. Mm -hmm. And so for personal injury, so I can't do that by keeping all the money for myself. Like obviously it's fun to just go shopping every day or whatever, which I still like <laughs> to do, but I also want to reinvest that money into growing my firm because your mm -hmm. business is only going to do but so well if every time you make a profit, you just, you know, splurge with it instead of actually putting it back into the business. Yeah. Now, are you allowed to, if you are a lawyer, to have your own firm and work at a firm? So let's like you like you mentioned, if you don't have clients or if you don't have a big case that you can right. settle, then you really don't have the money or the capital to go out and to start your own firm. But let's say I'm working for a firm and um, somebody reach out to me and I got my own case. Right. This right. is my one case. Right. I'm working on it. <laughs> And I closed that case for like $250,000. That's what you get in attorney right. fees. Now you got enough money to obviously feed yourself and to probably hire an assistant or two and go right. out on your own. So is that even allowed in that industry? Can you do that type of stuff? Um, it just depends on where you're working. So just like with any job, like your job may have restrictions on other jobs you're taking. So when I worked for the state attorney's office as a prosecutor, um, they said if you want to work in another job, basically they have to approve it because they don't want it to be something that's a conflict. Right. Like obviously if I'm a criminal prosecutor in Tallahassee, Tallahassee, Florida, I can't also be a criminal defense attorney in Tallahassee, right, right, Florida, right. because like, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's ridiculous. Um, but just like, they just want to make sure it's something that they approve. Um, and that it's not something that's one shady because I was working for the government. So they don't want me doing something shady. Um, and then also not a conflict of interest. Um, and so th those were the two things that they cared about. I didn't have a second job at the time because I was also doing my MBA for the most part. So I was right. focusing on those two things. Um, but some firms, like I have a friend, one of my best friends, she works, she has a, a nine to five job that she does for a W2 that um, she works at. So she has that firm. Mm -hmm. Then she has her own law firm and she does immigration. So she does immigration for more like the Hispanic clients at that job. Then right. she does immigration for her own firm that she's created. That's just her um, for like, she's, uh, she's um, Caribbean. So she does like the Caribbean clients for herself. Right. Okay. Then she works at a real estate firm that does real estate closings. And she does real estate closings for that firm. Mm -hmm. And then she also works at another real estate firm and does wow. closings with that firm. So she mm -hmm. actually works at four different firms. Mm -hmm. um, and so as long as they're all okay with it, it's not like you're actually prohibited, but obviously you want to make sure that there's no conflict of interest. And the more, the more clients that you're dealing with, the more firms you're dealing with, the more there's a chance for potential mm -hmm. conflicts of interest. So just making sure you don't have any issues with that, but it's really just based on, you know, what your company is okay with. Um, like I could work for another firm, I guess, if I wanted, but I don't want to put my time into building someone else's firm up. I want to put my time into building up this firm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like, for example, I do the lawyer base, um, like that's my my blog or whatever that I do, um, and that's something that's not part of this firm, but it doesn't conflict with it or anything like that. Um, but I, I just wouldn't put my time into anything really that 
you know, would take away from this firm or any other actual mm-hmm. law firm personally. But again, it's, it's okay as long as your job is okay with it and as long as there's not any conflict. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like how everything is set up, what's the difference between a partner and a managing partner? So a partner is someone that's going to get basically equity on the cases in the, in the firm. Mm-hmm. It can be a person that's a limited partner. So they're getting equity on cases that they're bringing in or limited to some extent. Mm-hmm. And a general partner is probably going to get percentages or whatever off of all of the cases. Mm-hmm. And then a managing partner is someone who's basically the one that's what, what the name suggests, basically managing that office. So I'm the one that's basically making the decisions for the office. I'm the one that's mm-hmm. the partner here on the ground. So for example, I'm a partner in our Houston, Texas office, but I'm not managing our office. I'm more passive in that office. So right. I don't really make any of the day-to-day decisions. I just bring cases in and I'm going to get percentages off the cases, regardless of whether I brought them in or whether someone else brought them in mm-hmm. is how that works in that office. But in my office, I'm getting a percentage off of everything. And I'm also kind of controlling the day-to-day, like the person I hired, she's going to more so contact me about, you know, if she wants to take the day off or if I have issues with the work product or whatever, I'm going to be the one mostly speaking to her or whatever, because I'm the one managing that office. Mm-hmm. How has, um, how has COVID affected your business? Because when I think of personal, personal injury, I think of uh, obviously car accidents. That's kind of, that's, that's a big thing. That's what, I feel like that's what most people think about. My friend's a financial advisor and he always try to get, um, you know, with his clients, he always talks about um, disability insurance and things like that um, going into right. your, your planning when you are planning your financial future. And most people right. never think like, they say, well, I'm healthy, I'm young, I don't play sports every right. day, so I'm not really going to be in a situation to get hurt other than a car accident. Like, that's kind of the, right. the first thing we think about. So I say that to say, um, when COVID first happened and everybody's on this whole work from home, remote work, um, did is that something you guys talked about? Uh, did you see a drop in clients or did you see an uptick in clients, people calling you, contacting you um, about like car accidents and things like that? Because I felt like the first two, three weeks or at least a month, nobody was really on the road driving. I remember driving down 400 and nobody was on the road. I'd never seen it before in Atlanta. So did that affect your business at all? Yeah. So for like, I would say, I don't remember exactly. It was like a month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't that I wasn't getting any clients. It was just that it had substantially dropped. Um, but I, I think that was like what in March or whenever it was when like, yeah, pretty much, like everyone March. was like the most afraid. March even through April. Atlanta were home. Yeah. It was probably around that time. I wasn't getting nearly as many calls um, for the auto accident cases because like people just weren't on the road, mm-hmm. but Atlanta is wide open. So <laughs> My calls, yeah. I, if I if I go look at my work phone right now, I'm sure someone probably called me today. I haven't even checked it yet for the day, but mm-hmm. um, I've been still just getting a lot of calls and everything regardless of um, COVID. It hasn't really affected me. To be honest, it's probably affected other attorneys more as far as people that have to get paid from the client. So right. if you're dealing with people that have like criminal cases, family law, you might have more of an issue because those clients have to actually pay you. So they may not have a job right now. Mm -hmm. They may have, you know, whatever, less, less money lying around to pay an attorney. Um, And so those attorneys may be suffering more, but since I don't get paid from the client and since, you know, regardless, Geico, Allstate, you know, whatever, their money is good. You know, I've, I've been doing fine um, with COVID being the case, because like Mm -hmm. I said, my clients have to pay me and these people are pretty much back on the roadways at this point. Mm-hmm. What do you what what do law firms do to win big cases? So, for example, um, my auntie when I was younger, and I, when I say this, I, it hurts my feelings so much because she just fumbled the bag, right? So my auntie got she got into an accident, and it was like with one of those big eighteen um, wheeler trucks or whatever. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So her settlement potential was really, really high. Like she probably could have got, I don't know if it, if it feels millions, but she probably could have got a whole lot of money. She ended up only getting like $200,000, which is a lot of money. I'm from the east side, like right. east side of Detroit. That's a lot of money. And I say she fumbled the bag because she didn't do anything positive with the money, right? Like she, mm. don't, she don't have nothing to show for it. Right. But so so in a case like that, what do if, if, if somebody's interviewing your law firm and interviewing several right. other law firms, do law firms say, hey, I'll take a lower percentage on the back end, or do you guys just stress your branding and you know your reputation? What, what's what's something that gives you guys a leg up in the game? Is it, you know, is it the percentage on the back end? Is that something people talk about? Um, 
to me, and I say this respect respectfully, as mm-hmm. um, just an LA boy would say, mm-hmm. I don't offer discount services, so I don't mm-hmm. offer discounts on my services. So, like, I don't do that. Um, some attorneys do, but I think it's troublesome to start that pathway of like attorneys giving discounts because typically the normal percentage is a third um, pre-suit and then sometimes it will be like 40% in litigation mm-hmm. if they don't accept liability. That's very, very standard. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is like, say you go to a lawyer and they're like, oh, I'm only going to charge you 20% or 25% or whatever it is. After a while, if people just keep doing that, then clients are going to expect that to be the, the percentage, you know? Right. So it's like, once you start giving a discount, that's why Louis, you don't never see a sale at Louis <laughs> because they're like, the the bag, the cheapest bag you're gonna come in here and get is thirteen hundred. Like that's mm-hmm. the cheapest bag you're gonna come get, and it just goes up from there. Like the shoes you're gonna spend like fifteen hundred dollars if you want some shoes or whatever it is. And we're not giving you a fifty percent off sale. We're not giving you an eighty percent off sale. We're not giving you those type of things because mm-hmm. we don't want you even feeling like the price could ever be that. Like this is the price and that's it. Mm-hmm. And so you have to like sometimes you have to worry with those discounts that like a client is gonna eventually feel like that's what it is. And then you give that person a discount because they have a good case and you want the case. Mm-hmm. But these people talk. So then their friend gets into an accident or whatever. It's a small community most of right. the time. They're like, oh, they're charging me with their, oh, they only charge me 25%. Now that client's like, hey, I'm going to fire you unless you charge me only 25%. Oh, wow. So I just feel like, it, I don't know if that's your battery, but it seems like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. It's my battery, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if it was going to just cut out, but um, but so I, I feel like that's troublesome and I try not to engage in that. Um, and also just frankly, I get enough clients that I don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's not to say like, if someone probably came to me and like, they had a dead person, like a, a dead husband or something. And they're like, yo, I want 25, 29% instead of 33 and a third percent. And it's like a guarantee winner or something. Maybe I would consider it, right. but I just really don't like to do that. Like, mm-hmm. and beca- because like, it's just, it, it, I just, especially for regular cases, like, I could just not take your case and just take the next one. That's probably going to call me 10 minutes later and just charge my regular fee. Um, so overall, I'm just not really willing um, to do that. Um, I think at the end of the day, like, like the main thing I have to offer that I feel like is different from other attorneys is my accessibility. Like I said before, I have my cell phone that, you know, they can contact me and actually talk to me. Um, and then, like I said, some people, if you actually care about this, as far as using a black owned business, like, Mm-hmm. We're black owned and operated, whereas there's very few black firms that are black owned and operated right. um, within the legal space, um, especially those that are outside of just like one or two people. Like there's a lot of, you know, this black attorney works for himself. But as far as like the more people you get, typically they're going to be working for a larger white firm or or whatever the case is. Or even if it's supposedly a black firm, there's going to be, you know, the the majority people with and at the heads of that firm. So it's not really black owned. It's like. Mm-hmm black more so operated than anything else and they're mm-hmm. they're mainly um just like the face of it um and so i feel like that's something that i feel like is is important as well keeping our dollars within our community because we're going to be more likely to actually care enough to reinvest within our community and try to help uplift the next you know uh, set of lawyers and in, in the community as a whole um and then aside from that i feel like my results speak for themselves and so i feel like it's, it's just a myriad of reasons why they should come with me but but for me i'm not the attorney that can that tries to convince people to come to me like if a client's like right. why should i come to your firm instead of so-and-so <laughs> firm i'm like i feel like you should go wherever you think you're going to get the best results so if you don't think that's with me i i implore you to go wherever you think is the best because i would hate for you to sit back there and a year from now when your case is, is done or whatever it is six months a year two years whatever the case is feel like I would have done better at so-and-so and so-and-so. So if you think mm-hmm. that's the case, by all means, please go there. Like I've, I've told people this before or whatever it is. And ultimately most of the time they're going to come with me still because you're, you're calling my phone for a reason. Like right. at the, it's just like with the rec, with any interview, if I'm going to an interview, I feel like I already got that job because the fact that you gave me an interview means I made the qualifications of whatever you thought right. you needed for that to hire somebody. And similarly, when clients are trying to decide they're going to hire you, you wouldn't have called my phone if you didn't think I had those qualifications. So, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, I feel like if you think I'm the person for you, for your case, then that's great. If not, there's no hard feelings for me. Like, I'm not, like I said, I'm not the attorney. Like, some people are, like, so persistent. Like, they're going to force the person to sign, mm-hmm. um, you know, degrade other firms and say, oh, you shouldn't go here because this is what they do wrong. Even if I know what they do wrong, you know, no. Like, if you think that's the best place for you, then you know, I would like for you to go there because that's what right. you think is best. Um, so that's just me. And like I said, overall, I think it's just because 
I have enough people that want to use my brand that I don't have to um, like force it on other people that don't necessarily know if that's the best decision for them. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel like that make that makes a lot of sense. And uh, my battery is about to kick me out, so we definitely gonna uh, wrap it up here. Could you tell everybody who's listening and gonna watch this um, where they can contact you and where where what offices that do you guys cover? So you know, if somebody's watching this and they have a friend in Houston or Atlanta, um, right. they can actually refer people over to you. Um, yeah, so I have offices in Atlanta, Georgia. Our office is in Midtown in Atlanta. Um, I have two offices in Jacksonville, Florida. I have an office in Miami, Florida, an office in Hollywood, Florida, and an office in Houston, Texas. As far as personal injury is concerned, we handle cases throughout the state of Texas, throughout the state of Florida, and throughout the state of Georgia. Um, we also do trademarks throughout the entire country. We also do business formation, which includes charities, LLCs, S-Corps, C-Corps, everything else um, mm -hmm. throughout the entire country. Um, and then we do criminal and family law just within Jacksonville, Florida. And so oh. um, as far as contacting me, um, you can contact my Instagram, Jessica underscore Esquire, E-S-Q-U-I-R-E. -E. Uh, my other page is Attorney Jessica. And then my other page is Voyeur Base, D-A-E-S. Okay, thank you. I really appreciate your time, Jessica. I know you're very busy. Oh, um, thank you for having me on, James. Yeah, I appreciate your time. I know you got a lot a lot going on. And um, I appreciate you coming on here. We definitely can connect. We're in the same city. So we're probably going to oh, sure. run into each other eventually. So um, I appreciate your time.